offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai. As always, I have the pleasure of joining you all live from our studios at Prashanti Nilayam. This is the series where we go through the Bhagavad Gita verse by verse. We are in the fourth chapter. I know that we do go pretty slowly in this, but I think it is justified given that we do try to go as deep as possible and it also gives us the opportunity to return to Swami's literature ever so often and try to understand these very, very profound verses. There is a lot of repetition, I think I should admit that and I've mentioned this before also because much of what Krishna says in the entire Gita has been said in the second chapter and there is a elaboration of that in the rest of the 16 chapters and I think that's what we're going to see and even the verses that we're going to go through this week and the week that follows we'll see that it's a repetition of some of the things that Krishna has mentioned very briefly in the second chapter but one way of looking at it is I think it's a way by which we refurbish the knowledge for ourselves revisit it and remind ourselves again and again and I think some of these texts of Vedanta have to be looked at as texts that are meant for mananam, that have to be constantly repeated, constantly be heard, constantly be studied and it is a way by which it literally cleanses the mind and I think that is why any number of repetition should not put us off. I'm saying all this hoping that I don't put you off by the repetition of the concepts that we keep discussing on the show. But uh, the shloka that we're going to go through today, which I actually played even as we were concluding last week's episode, is a very, very important one. And uh, in explaining this, I will be repeating some of the concepts that we made and I think it is quite called for. But as always, let's begin with a short summary of what we covered last week. We went through three verses, 15, 16 and 17. The 18th verse, as I said, I just played it for you and read out the meaning, but we'll go into the details of that verse in this week's episode. Krishna had been explaining his own nature and he was saying how even though he is constantly engaged in activity, in reality he doesn't do anything. And Krishna then says, whoever knows his nature to be thus, that person does not get bound to the actions that they perform. And uh, we had explained how this is a way by which the nature that Krishna is explaining as his own is nothing but the nature of the Atma and anybody who, who understands God understands oneself. In the 15th verse, Krishna says that many mumukshus or aspirants of moksha had performed action with this knowledge that he was saying, that understanding of how Krishna operates, understanding of how the Atman within itself operates. And having understood that, these mumukshus performed their duties as they had to be performed. So Krishna tells Arjuna, you should follow the same path that the mumukshus of the past have followed. In the next two verses, 16 and 17, Krishna says that how easily people get confused about the concepts of karma, akarma and vikarma. He says even the most learned people get deluded by these concepts and most compassionately, Lord Krishna says, Arjuna, I will explain to you what each one of this is because the ways of karma are inscrutable and certainly you need a good guru who can explain the concept of karma, akarma and all the allied concepts, if I may put it that way. So Krishna says, I will explain to you, each one of these have to be understood and I will take the task of explaining them to you. 
So these are the verses that we are going to go through. And just like how Krishna explained the concept of Astita Pragna, right? When Arjuna asks, what does Astita Pragna do? How does he carry himself? What does he speak? What does he do? Krishna went on to give a description of the nature of Astita Pragna and in that manner he said how a person of wisdom should act, right? Very similarly, now Krishna is saying that I will explain to you what is karma and what is a karma and uh, more than directly going into saying that this is karma and this is a karma, Krishna goes on to explain with the help of a person who performs a karma in karma, right? Who performs non-action. And that is the 18th verse that we had gone through. Probably I'll replay that verse. We'll listen to that. I'll uh, maybe again repeat the meaning of that and we'll take it from there because this, as I said, one of the ways by which we say a particular verse is important in the Bhagavad Gita is how long a commentary Adi Shankaracharya has written for that particular verse in his Bhashyam is one of the ways by which we give importance to certain verses. So in that sense, this is one of the verses for which he has written an elaborate commentary. So this is an important verse. It's very interesting verse because it's a cryptic, it's a it's paradoxical in its own way. So we will listen to it again. I'll read out the meaning briefly and then we'll discuss in detail about it. And this will lead on to the next few verses that come in this particular chapter. कर्मण्य कर्मय पश्ये अकर्मणि च कर्मय सबुद्धिमान मनुष्येशु सयुक्त कृत्स्न कर्मकृत he who finds inaction in action and action in inaction he is the wise one among all men he is engaged in yoga and has done everything that has to be done. So that is the 18th verse. Now, just as I mentioned, Krishna had said that he will explain what is karma, what is a karma, and he will also explain what is vikarma. And I had also mentioned the fact that the word karma is very loaded. It has many uh, dimensions to it. It has many layers of meaning to it. And that makes all of these concepts difficult to grasp. And that's why Krishna says even the learned ones get confused when they're talking about these concepts. And honestly, if I claim that I am not confused and I'm absolutely clear about these concepts, I would really be hiding the truth from you. It is confusing. Let me confess that. And I think the saving grace is Krishna says, don't worry, even the most learned get confused. And what are we? We are just in the process of trying to gather some knowledge. So I think it, we are forgiven that we are not very clear of this. So at the very outset, let me say I am not absolutely clear of this particular shloka and whatever Krishna says here. And we'll just start with a prayer that Swami helps us understand this more clearly even as we go through these shlokas and discuss it within ourselves. So Krishna is once again defining a wise man. As I said, he doesn't directly talk about what is akarma and karma and vikarma. He starts off by describing a person who is wise. He has done this many times from different points of view. Now here comes a different version or a different definition for a wise man. And all this is to tell Arjuna that you think that you are being wise but you are not. 
right that's how the whole discourse starts the entire discourse starts with the 11th verse of the second chapter and the first line that krishna says there is ashochyan anvashochastvam pragnyavadanscha bhashase grieving for that which should not be grieved for you are speaking wise words right that's how the whole discourse starts so it all started by krishna telling arjuna you think you're wise let me explain to you who is truly wise so that definition of a wise person continues and here is a different definition for that here he says the one who sees inaction in action and action in inaction is a wise one karmani akarma akarmani karma yah pashyet one who is able to see karma in akarma and akarma in karma now we have come across many times before krishna telling that a wise person is actually a tattvadarshina right we have come across this phrase or this uh, terminology one who is able to see the tattva in everything and we'd also define what tattva is tattva is the true essence that remains when the mithya or the non real aspect of any object or entity is removed and what is the mithya aspect name and form that which changes constantly that is the mithya that is the mirage that we keep referring to so when you remove the mirage or the mithya of name and form tattva is what remains so in other words seeing things as they are right there's another way of defining tattva seeing things not as the mithya aspect but seeing things as they are as they truly are is a sign of a wise person so if we were to apply that to this particular shloka here krishna is saying seeing inaction in action and action in inaction is a trait of a wise man which means karma is truly a karma and a karma is truly karma if this doesn't confuse us i don't know what will because it is not easy to grasp really i think you will agree with me when i say that because how could this possibly be if a karma is non acting and karma is acting how can they be one and the same how can krishna say the one who is able to see an activity as a non activity is a wise man let us say that you are sitting in front of me and you are reading a book you are performing the activity or the action of reading a book and i can clearly see it when i am able to see that you are reading the book how can i say that you are not reading the book or let's take an example which is even more serious let's say i see a person who is committing an offense who is probably stealing something it's happening right in front of my eyes and i'm seeing that this person is stealing how can i then say that he or she is not stealing if karma is activity and akarma is non activity if we were to give only these simple definitions to karma and akarma that is how ridiculous the idea will be when krishna says seeing inactivity inactivity that is why we cannot decode this particular shloka or statement which krishna is making without using the different meanings of the word karma and when krishna says akarma which meaning should we consider and when krishna uses the word karma which of the many meanings that it has we must consider 
So we're going to do that different combinations and how to understand this particular thing. But before we do that, there are two interpretations for this particular shloka, which probably we'll discuss briefly and get out of the way. One is the wrong interpretation and the other is the ultimate interpretation, which is absolutely true interpretation. But nevertheless, it is not really actionable, so to say, or nothing can be done about it. It is only a concept more or less. We will see that when we discuss about that. So what is the wrong interpretation that I wanted to explain and get out of the way? If you take karma to mean the duty to be performed, that is another definition which we can give for the word karma. So if karma is the duty to be performed and a karma is giving up of duties, in other words, karma sannyasa is also a karma, right? So if we define karma as doing duties and akarma as sannyasa, the statement yaha karmani akarma pashyet will mean that one who sees giving up of all duties as the best duty is the wise one. Right? That will be the definition if we were to put duties in karma place and sannyasa in a karma place. And why am I saying that this is a wrong interpretation and I'm saying it with much confidence because the context is very, very clear. I think if we have any doubt at any point, what we have to go back to is the context of the entire Gita. Krishna is trying to dissuade Arjuna from sannyasa and in fact is saying the right opposite. Krishna is saying that if you don't do your duty, it will be a sin. It will become a vikarma. I'll repeat what I said last week. I think as I, as we were concluding, I'd made this uh, particular statement. Arjuna thought that if he fights, it will be vikarma or sinful actions because he's going to kill people, he's going to cause a lot of damage. So he wanted to choose sannyasa, which is giving up the action altogether. But Krishna said, look, this is your duty. So out of your likes and dislikes, that is, dictated by your mind if you say I don't want to do this that non-action also becomes a sin non-action is akarma so even akarma becomes a sinful action or vikarma so from this the confusion can be seen when we say karma it means action that has consequences that bind so we think akarma means no action so there is no bondage or no consequence too. But the concept of duty is what makes this thing a little more complicated. Duty is something by virtue of where we are placed in life, we are meant to do something, right? Again, going back to that same definition of duty, what I am due to do is my duty, right? So by virtue of where I am placed in life, I am supposed to do some actions and not performing those actions are equally sinful compared to doing actions wrongly or in a, a harmful manner. All of us, you know, we, we're all working in a particular place. We've been given a salary to perform our task. If I don't perform the task for which I've been appointed, for which I'm being paid, that non-activity is also a mistake, isn't it? So, akarma also becomes a vikarma. Karma when I perform a wrong action, when I steal, when I hurt somebody, when I do something which is the dharmic, that karma also is with karma. But when I'm supposed to do something and I don't do that action, that akarma 
also can become vikarma so the point is this interpretation that giving up action or sanyasa is dharma is wrong let me make it very clear i am not saying sanyasa itself is adharmic i am only saying that interpretation for this particular shloka is wrong right i am passing no judgments on the act of taking sanyasa at all i am just saying that that interpretation does not fit this particular shloka which is the 18th shloka of the fourth chapter next is the absolute interpretation of the shloka and what is that the way we define sin when it comes to the ultimate truth and the purpose of life is completely different from how we do it in our regular life karma or activity can be of many types right a lot of karmas that we do have very simple and direct consequences and most of the actions that we do on a daily basis are actions which have immediate consequences and the simplest examples of that is brushing your teeth having your bath cleaning your homes taking medicines when you're sick or eating food you perform that action the consequence is almost immediate right if i don't brush my teeth well the consequences will be faced by the person in front of me if i don't have my bath the people around me are going to face the consequences right and of course it is going to come to me also but this is what happens these are actions which have immediate perceivable and simple consequences so these are also karmas but when we are talking about karmas that bind those are karmas where we involve our mind very very deeply something that i do out of ambition or something that i do in anger or something which i do out of revenge or for that matter even the good actions that i do out of my strong attachments these are all actions where i am very deeply involving my mind my desires my emotions so vikarma is not just bad karmas but karma that can lead to any deep consequence or any deep binding can also be referred to as vikarma in the ultimate sense there is this incident uh, which happened in swami's presence and i'm sure i must have repeated i mean i must have mentioned this on the show itself if i'm not mentioned this on the show i'm definitely sure i've mentioned it on all the other shows i've been part of because it's a very telling and beautiful interaction that happened between a particular student and swami in trai brindavan i think swami was talking about the concept of karma and consequences and how everybody has to come back to you know enjoy the consequences of their actions so there was this one particular student who was sitting there and you know he had a look of very deep uh, thoughtfulness and swami looked at him and swami said what happened what are you thinking about so he said swami i'm having a doubt so he said okay tell me what it is so he said swami any action that i perform will have a consequence he said yes so any bad if i do secretly also i will have a consequence for it and i'll have to suffer the consequences so he said yes everything is noted and you will come back to suffer that the consequence and then that boy said swami what about good actions then so from what you say even when i do good actions i will have to come back to enjoy the results or consequences of that good action and swami said very true even good actions will bring you back into another birth so that you can come and enjoy the consequences then this boy said swami then why do i have to do good actions at all or why do i have to do any actions if being good and being bad binds me equally then it looks like i'm we are all completely doomed right and swami said yes 
bad actions and good actions both bind equally and that is why as long as you don't give up the sense of doership all karmas will bind right so any karma behind which we put our strong emotions bind because in both good and bad actions we actually assert our doership when i say that i i'm very upset with this person i want to do this you know i don't like you so i'm doing this or when we say i did so much for you and you know you have no gratitude for me and this is how you respond to my love and or you say that i've done so much for sami and you know this is how sami lets me down when i need him all of these are ways by which we are asserting our doership we're saying that i did it or i did not do it or i did it wrongly or i did it rightly in all of these cases we are asserting doership and as long as we assert doership whether it's a good action whether it's a helpful action whether we are doing it out of a kindness we are doing it out of a compassion we are helping somebody out or we are harming somebody all of this binds equally so true akarma is not when we don't do actions at all but when the doership is completely removed and that is when we identify with the self or the atma completely and that's what krishna had said about himself i do everything yet i am never the doer and we had seen how that is in fact a very apt description of the atma itself so when we completely identify with the atma we may continue to act but there is no karma because there is no doership and that is akarma in karma the activity of the atma is actually an illusion the atma is always still right atma is never moving atma does not exert itself it is uh, avyaya it does not change so anything that does not change does not do anything right these are all definitions we have come across many many times in fact the analogy that swami gives and in fact even adi shankaracharya gives in his bhashyam is that when we are say moving in a vehicle adi shankaracharya of course gives the example which must have been uh, more suitable for his times when you are going in a boat on on the river you find that all the coconut trees on the banks seem to be moving away from you backwards right but in reality they are all stationary it is that you are moving they are actually stationary but they appear moving right there is an illusion of movement on the object which is otherwise stationary similarly when we look at objects that are very very far away like stars in the sky like a planet that we see as a spot in the sky it appears stationary we might look at it for about 5 minutes from you know down here it appears like it is stationary it is not moving but in reality it is actually moving so its non movingness is actually an illusion it is really moving so this is probably the ultimate interpretation for this particular statement that krishna is making the ability to see akarma in karma and karma in akarma is that of the wise person and if you ask me i think we've more or less grasped this idea intellectually by now at least we've agreed upon this idea intellectually by now that when we identify with the atma there is no doership and hence no karma and when there are no karma nothing's there to bind us but yet other than merely probably contemplating on this concept i think there is nothing much we can do with this interpretation right nothing much for us to act upon this interpretation other than the fact 
that we can contemplate on this other than the fact that how do we relate how do we constantly remind ourselves that we are not this body and the mind but we are the self right that is why i said this is the ultimate interpretation but there is nothing actionable with this interpretation that we have so we will go to a couple of other interpretations which probably will give us something that we can try to do and try to practically implement in our lives now karma can also be defined as effort and if we define karma as effort the word akarma becomes effortlessness so to see effortlessness in effort and to see true effort in effortlessness is a sign of a wise man is one of the interpretations or meanings that we can give for this very statement again whether this is completely right this is what krishna meant we will see that you know as i said karma has many many meanings and the way we put different meanings in this particular sentence it will give you different concepts and different ideas we will see in some way all of these are connected and will lead us to that ultimate interpretation which we just discussed that is giving up of doership relating to the atma as the true self right and that is why it may not be directly correct what i am saying that karma is effort and akarma is effortlessness but you will see that as we discuss this how this also leads to that same ultimate idea but in the process it gives us something to work on what is this effortless effort i think we've achieved this in many many aspects in our own lives in our own ways if i have to put it in one word effortless effort is spontaneity the same activity that required effort on our part after a certain time becomes so natural to us that we start doing it effortlessly the best example i can think of the simple mundane examples are riding a bicycle swimming driving a car right in all these activities we have achieved this effortless effort when the process becomes literally a part of our system that we don't have to exert ourselves we don't have to think very hard but this gets a little more complex as the activity itself becomes more complex right when we talk about riding a bicycle or learning swimming it's a simple activity and we see the effortless effort in that in a very i think a conceivable time frame if i could put it that way and it is something that is very mundane and many many things right many of the gadgets that we use have all become over a period of time with practice it becomes effortless but in a more complex situation in more complex activities you know, there are a lot of these artists and musicians and even sportsmen who speak about this concept of being in the zone right especially sportsmen you'll find them using this term being in the zone when they are in such deep concentration that whatever they do becomes so completely effortless so much so that they do not feel that they are doing it at all right a lot of sportsmen have spoken about this there are a lot of singers who have spoken about this when you sing one of the most critical things is that you have to sing in pitch you know you constantly listen to the uh, scale which is being played and you sing in pitch you sing in rhythm and that requires effort that requires consciously you know doing that but a lot of singers they say that in that deep concentration when they are either practicing or when they are singing in the stage they come to a state where their entire mind merges in that music they don't see the audience in front of them they don't actually listen to the 
tampura which is being played or the tabla which is being played but the whole thing happens so effortlessly they they're singing their best they're not missing anything they're not missing the beat they're not missing the pitch but everything happens so very effortlessly and they say that you know i'm in my zone and a lot of sportsmen speak about that where they say they're playing in a stadium filled with 20 30000 people but they're not hearing a single voice they say that they see only the ball or they see only they're completely concentrated on what they're doing if we were to define what is effort when the mind is having to force the body to do something that is not coming naturally can be defined as effort isn't it so when i'm trying to balance on a cycle or say i like to sing a song i've heard a song i'm trying to sing it the idea is there in my mind what i want to do but the body is not necessarily cooperating the song is there in my mind but my vocal cords are not necessarily playing along right and that is where effort comes in so i am exerting myself to bridge this gap between the mind and the body i consciously try to do it and with practice the gap between the mind and the body thinking and the doing is bridged but eventually the activity becomes so spontaneous and natural that it can be referred to as being completely effortless and imagine when all our karmas reaches such a state when all activities flows through us so effortlessly doesn't it mean the state of effortless effort actionless action or akarma in karma the activities are being done but there is no exertion from the individual's point so this is another way of looking at this particular state and this is a little more approachable way because we do experience this in everyday life so when does an artist or a musician hit the zone really when they become experts right i cannot claim to be in the zone as a singer or as a cricket player right with my limited knowledge and my with my limited practice only when i become an expert only when i have in my conscious state i am able to bridge this gap between my mind and the body i go into that zone where i am not exerting myself everything is happening and everything is happening through me right so there comes a point when they say that the act is just flowing through them and they don't sense that they are performing that action they don't feel that they are singing or they are playing or they are painting a lot of artists also speak of this so literally they become like a conduit through which that effort flows so in many ways we are all trying to reach this spontaneity in life right now we need effort to choose between right and wrong we need effort to do what is right all the time we are always in dilemma whether should we do this should we not do this or i know that this is what i'm supposed to do but i'm not able to do it a lot of hesitations fears right but when we reach the ultimate state what has to be done will be done but there will be no effort on our part as what krishna had said krishna karma krit all that has to be done will be done but still it will be done as akarma or without any activity one question which might immediately come i don't know if it has occurred to you in your mind but it has occurred to me in my in my devil's mind properly what about the wrong actions that come so effortlessly to us 
I'm angry, I want to shout at someone and my body immediately helps me join in that, right? My body immediately obeys, my body doesn't resist that. I want to shout at somebody, the body immediately, the vocal cord is there by my side helping me to perform that action. Someone comes and gives me a tight slap and I'm ready to slap that person back. And that action is so spontaneous. So isn't this also effortless effort? Can we call this as a karma and karma? We will come to that in a bit, why wrong actions will not fit into this. But before that, I want to talk about this concept of effortless effort. It is uh, mentioned in another uh, culture altogether, another philosophical uh, concept. I don't know whether you can say the religion of Taoism or the uh, approach of Taoism is one of the uh, philosophies of which is born in China. There they speak of this concept and in fact becomes the central concept of Taoism itself. There is this effortless effort is referred to as Wu Wei. W-E-W-E-I, right? That's what they call it. Wu Wei is supposed to be that effortless effort. And it is almost very similar to what Krishna is saying here. One of the most beautiful quotes from Tao Te Ching, which is supposed to be the central literature of Taoism, goes that, Tao actually means the way and in many ways the description of Tao is very similar to the description of the self that we see in Vedanta. So the quote goes, the way never acts but nothing is left undone. The Tao never acts but nothing is left undone. Isn't this precisely what we are talking about in the past couple of verses? Krishna had said it is akartaram. It is not the doer, but Krishna Karmakrit does everything that has to be done. The Dao never acts, but nothing is left undone. Krishna Karmakrit. In fact, going back to this concept of Wu Wei, it is also called going with the flow, right? And we said being in the zone is going in the flow. Wu Wei is actually called being going with the flow, and many of the examples they give are from nature, for instance water that flows effortlessly like a creeper that kind of takes the shape of the tree around which it's growing without changing the tree itself or uh, like the bamboo which sways in the wind. All of these are examples of, you know, it is not activity or it is not offering any resistance to the things around. Just like water, it just flows along the terrain, right? It is not non-activity or not achieving something but achieving it with infinite patience and silent perseverance that almost appears like non-activity or non-assertion. That's why water is a very, very brilliant example for this. You know, when you have uh, water is considered to be, it offers least resistance. It takes the shape of the container that you put it in and you know it just flows along the terrain if there are boulders in front of it it goes around it if there's a hillock it goes around the hillock but all the while actually the water is eroding its way through right that's that's what they say if you have a rock and you have a drop of water which keeps falling on it continuously what happens it looks like the water is actually getting scattered but what the water is doing is silently it is making its mark right so when they talk about Wu Wei, they speak about that, that kind of an effort where you do what you're supposed to do, you're not bothered about the resistances which come around and you just accept all the resistances. You, you do not uh, necessarily fight with them or you do not uh, 
get impeded by them you do not get put off by them but at the same time with infinite patience you're going at whatever you're doing and eventually you achieve whatever has to be achieved so work is achieved but with least exertion and for that what does the water do the water just remains itself it doesn't change its characteristics so doing what it always does unmindful of all the resistance around it it still achieves everything and that is wu wei effortless effort and this as i said is very very similar to what krishna has been speaking about and i'm quoting this particular concept just to show that all deeply spiritual sadhakas whichever culture they belong to they've all come to the same conclusions and lao tzu who is the founder of taoism who gave the concept of wu wei probably he might have never read vedanta he might have never come across the concepts of vedanta but the conclusions that he has arrived is so very similar to what krishna is speaking about here because this is the truth and the truth is available for anybody who has that earnestness and who is having the focus to look for it so let me take the same analogies that lao tzu gives in the concept of wu wei and try to explain this concept of akarma in karma going back to the water the water doesn't change its nature which means we as human beings have to do what is expected of us that's one of the definitions of dharma that we gave a couple of weeks back dharma is one's sahaja guna what is expected of that person so just like how water achieves what has to be achieved without offering resistance to things around remaining what it is the same equated to our human life is we have to do what we are supposed to do what is our swadharma and how can we offer least resistance to what happens around us when we do not get perturbed by what happens around us when i do what is right and i get evil or bad in return that should not put me off and that should not make me change my nature but i will accept whatever happens i do what i'm supposed to do and whatever happens i just accept it for that moment and that is why you know the concept of taoism always speaks about forbearance of tolerance of patience because without these qualities one can never follow shreyas over prayers right that's one thing that uh, again we discussed a couple of weeks back for an individual to choose the right over the pleasurable the shreyas over the prayers the key things are one should have patience one should have patience because good actions will have good results but the delay in might be more than when you are going after something which is pleasurable which gives you an immediate pleasure its consequence so one of the key necessities for a person to stick to the dharmic path is one should have forbearance one should have patience right and that's why taoism speaks about these qualities you should be patient like water you know you should be patient like nature nature doesn't exert itself but it achieves everything right everything is achieved in its own time a seed becomes a tree in its own time the tree changes its hues in its own time a barren land left becomes a forest in its own time so these are the qualities this that say are central to the idea of following this concept of wu wei and for this apart from forbearance and tolerance one's desires have to be under check how can i not be put off by the reverses that i feel in life the desires or my likes and dislikes have to be curbed 
to a certain extent in the raga and dvesha so the means to effortless effort akarma and karma is to do what one is supposed to do which is swadharma and do not worry about the results that is don't be attached to the results in fact this is the most perfect explanation for this particular verse doing seeing akarma and karma we will find that this is the best explanation and that is why i said even though thinking of karma and akarma as effort and effortlessness might be a little bit of a stretch and it might not necessarily mean what arjuna was being told by krishna i said it will lead us to the most uh, appropriate explanation right and that is how we can see that it has actually led us to the right explanation of what krishna is saying here if you look at karma as actions that have consequence krishna had said just a few words ago namam karmani limpanti name karma phale spruha which means karma doesn't taint me arjuna because i have no desire for the fruits of those actions so when actions are performed without any desire for the fruits they are no more karma that is actions with consequences even if they have consequences they do not affect the doer so that is one way of akarma and karma and such a person does not give up one's prescribed duties because he knows that akarma or non activity is actually karma that can bind and that's what is the meaning of that first statement the one who is able to see akarma in karma that is i can do what i'm supposed to do but those actions will not bind me if i'm able to do it in this manner and one who is able to see karma in akarma not performing my actions can become a binding karma so one who is able to see this is a wise person so the ultimate explanation of this shloka is that one who identifies with the atma transcends the ego and when there is no ego there is no karta or doer and when there is no karta there is no kartritva or doership and hence there is no doership at all so such a person can see karma also as a karma such a person can act and yet be untainted by karma but a more workable explanation and what is in the context of what is being said is if one can reach that state by following the process of karma yoga perform what's one's swadharma and slowly give up the desires for specific outcomes then it becomes akarma in karma and we will find that this is not only a more approachable and workable explanation for this shloka some of the verses which are going to follow will also hint towards this and as i said krishna will not define this as a karma and this as karma he will say that this is what the wise man does almost hinting that this is what he was referring to when he said akarma this is what he meant when he said vikarma so we'll go to the next shloka and we'll see how this is connected to what uh, is almost like a the explanation that we had finally derived to we will listen to shloka number 19 as always rendered in the voice of brother sham i'll give you a brief meaning of that and probably we'll have a discussion on that and maybe we'll have to conclude with that but we'll see how how much time we have to discuss this in the next shloka yasya sarve samarambha 
ಕಾಮಸಂಕಲ್ಪವರ್ಜಿತ್ಞಿದಗ್ಧಕರ್ಮಣ ತಮಾಹು ಪಂಡಿತ ಬುಧಿ ಹೂಸ್ ಎವ್ರಿ ಎಕ್ಸರ್ಷನ್ ಇಸ್ ಡಿವೈಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಇಂಟೆನ್ಷನ್ ಫಾರ್ ದ ಡಿಸೈರಬಲ್ ಆಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಹೂಸ್ ಆಕ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಬರ್ಂಟ್ ಅಪ್ ಬೈ ದ ಫೈರ್ ಆಫ್ ವಿಸ್ಡಮ್ ಹಿಮ್ the wise call a man of learning so the definition of a wise man continues as i said one who does not have any desires for the fruits but still acts the word samarambha means undertakings right it is not merely an action but an activity which probably includes in it many many actions like uh, for example a teacher who begins probably teaching a new semester right there are a lot of small activities involved in that if you could call it an adventure or an undertaking similarly a farmer who's beginning is you know a season of sowing uh, seeds or a parent who's beginning to nurture a child after the child is born these are all undertakings that involve a series of karmas so such activities can be referred to as samarambha undertakings which have many many actions or karmas as subsets within them so it can mean any duty if you look at it right any duty that we take up is actually a samarambha so krishna says the wise person is one who takes up activities free of desires yasya sarve samarambha whose every undertaking kama sankalpa varjitaha kama means desires sankalpa are thoughts varjita means devoid of so kama sankalpa varjitaha is undertakings that are devoid of any thoughts of desires gnanagni dagda karmanam whose actions have been burnt by the fire of knowledge tam him ahu is called panditam a sage budaha as being wise so somebody who has this nature krishna says again it's a extension as i said of a definition of a wise person one of the best ways to achieve this particular state is through jnana not one of the best ways that is the best way as we said every effort eventually leads to this every marga finally leads to this as swami would say even bhakti fructifies into jnana karma fructifies into jnana right so that is the ultimate there is nothing that can give this ultimate state without the ego being sublimated and that is what is referred to as jnana jnana is nothing but we realizing that we are not this body we are not this mind we are not this ego but we are one with the atma which is divine right so that is the ultimate state so jnana is like that fire that completely burns all actions and when we say it completely burns all action it means it completely burns doership thereby leading to a karma now the whole idea is to perform karma or actions in a manner that it doesn't lead us to karma or consequences why do we want to do such action because karma that binds makes us come again and again and the goal of life is to ensure that we put an end to this cycle of birth and death so to perform such karma that liberates and that does not bind is the whole idea or the whole goal of what we're trying to achieve that will happen only when the ego goes 
So when the jnana completely burns the idea of me and mine, that is when it will happen. But there are ways to get there and that is what we are trying to discuss about. Without discarding our duty, without giving up our profession, without running away from society, there is a way by which we can achieve it. And these are all things that we've come across. We've we've come through the explanations. Why? Because an unwise person needs karma for the purification of the mind. And that is why Krishna said, even though I don't have to do any actions, even though a wise man doesn't have to do any action, they continue to do action only because fools like you and me who need action will look at them and say that, okay, I have to do my duty, right? So that's the whole idea. So for a person who is unwise, there is a necessity to do one's swadharma because that is what leads to chitta-shuddhi. So there should be a way by which without discarding our duty, without running away from our roles and responsibilities, there should be a way by which we are able to attain this jnana, right? And that is why karma yoga is so very important. So the next few verses, Krishna is going to again continue with this description of a jnani much similar to how he gave the definition of asthita pragna and even as he was describing asthita pragna we could learn some things from that and we could say that this is how asthita pragna lives so can i replicate some of these qualities or attributes in my daily life right that's how we looked at that definition of asthita pragna and that's precisely how we will have to look at the following few verses which are definitions of a jnani which is now being given in the context of somebody who is able to perform a karma in karma, right? The definition that is being given in this particular section is a jnani is one who is able to perform non-binding activity. So when Krishna is defining this, we will see that it's more or less a repetition of what he said in the definition of sthita pragna, but if Swami feels that it needs to be repeated, who are we to say that this is a repetition, let's skip it. So we will also go with the repetition, we will also repeat it, we will also re-remind ourselves about what is being said here. But I think we'll probably have enough time to listen to and discuss about the next verse, that is verse number 20, because it's more or less a continuation of what verse number 19 is. I'll probably play that out, we'll listen to that and we'll just see how much time we'll have to discuss that. So this is verse number 20 of the fourth chapter. Tyakva karma phala sangam Nityatrupto nirashrayaha Karman yabhi pravritto pi Naiva kinchit karoti saha Having given up attachment to the results of action, he who is ever contented, depending on nothing, he really does not do anything, even though engaged in action. As I just said, this is a definition of a jnani, but it is actually giving us hints as to can we lead our lives in a fashion which is similar to this definition and achieve to a certain extent what has been achieved. right? So how we can do such karma that does not mind when one has jnana, all actions are burnt, right? That has been established. But before we get there, maybe at least some of our actions can be done in such a manner that it doesn't bind. When we get that jnana, no actions will bind. But can we at least do few of our actions in a manner that 
they do not bind as we live through life can we fill at least some of our lifetime with such activity that doesn't necessarily bind us for instance i know if i eat healthy food every session of the day for morning lunch and dinner i will have good health but i know it in my head i know it as a concept but it is not quite possible for me because we all have a tongue and tongue has its own cravings likes and dislikes again raga and dwesha so instead of eating nutritionless tasty food all day long just because i cannot give up that i can at least try to eat healthy food probably one session a day at least just for breakfast or just at late in the night i will not eat food which is you know not very healthy if i am able to change my diet at least to a certain extent that much i will benefit isn't it similarly we all know what is right and wrong we all after reading the gita after listening to lectures and discourses know that we must give up doership altogether but it is right now not possible because we have desires we have raga and dwesha and it is quite strong at this particular moment in our life so if not all actions can we at least do some of our actions the way a wise person would perform all his actions so i feel this shloka and the next shlokas can be looked at in such a perspective and we can see if we can find such activity in our own life so that at least some of our activities are done in such a manner that they do not bind so the first point that uh, krishna is saying here is of course the bhagavad gita's favorite point which is tyaktva karma phala sangam this is again a description of a jnani he says tyaktva having given up karma phala sangam the attachment to fruits of the actions performed nitya tripto being ever satisfied nirashrayaha being non dependent on anything else so here is a clear hint can we at least do some activity without expecting anything in return just for the satisfaction that comes out of that act and not out of anything that comes out of the result or what comes from people around us this may appear difficult when probably i'm telling it out but it is not true we all have performed many actions like this and we only have to try and consciously do more of such actions and eventually get that idea into every action that we do for instance whenever we help someone say a poor man or an animal that is hurt on the road or anyone who probably cannot repay our goodness in any form there is a satisfaction that comes with that act itself and i'm sure none of our listeners would deny this and every one of us would have at some point been in a state where we've been able to do an act of complete selflessness and we felt a warmth we felt a satisfaction from that act and there was nothing more to gain you know it was a perfect act that just doing that gave us the satisfaction and happiness right and there are many many actions like that not merely a, a charitable action there are actions that a mother does for the child the child does for her, the the parents probably a teacher does for the student there are actions where the action being performed itself gave all satisfaction and you did not look beyond that action for any joy or any result right so can we do more of such acts of compassion kindness or goodness and take merely the satisfaction that comes from that act alone as reward and not depend on anything external to derive our joy so the jnani is nitya tripto nirashraya he is forever satisfied and 
forever non-dependent on anything external, we can see if at least few of our actions, if not all our actions, can qualify in this manner that they are self-sufficient and they are done absolutely selflessly. So I'm not going to go into this again. This concept of you know how do you negate doership? I'm sure that's going to come up later. Some of these things we've already discussed about how the attitude of gratitude is a means by which we negate doership. The moment we say that what I am is because of all these people who contributed in my life. So that is another concept which kind of attaches to whatever we've been speaking about here. Because the whole idea is to give up that doership. Effortless effort is one of the ways, is one of the concepts we're talking about. Desireless action is one of the concepts we're talking about. But the ultimate state we're trying to reach is to completely give up doership, right? So the, all of these three should have to come together and that is how it is reached. In fact, uh, even talking about charity, you're talking about uh, doing good acts. Ramakrishna Paramahamsa used to say this. He's, he would say that all wealth comes from God. Whatever we have today, a rich man or a poor man or a talented person or somebody who is uh, you know, able to make a living for oneself, who has good health, who has all his limbs intact, all of these are gifts of God, right? And Ramakrishna Paramahamsa would say that if there is a rich man and a poor man, God is like a father who probably has two children, two sons, and the father says that, you know, the younger son seems to be a little irresponsible and I'm not sure if I give him money, how he's going to spend it. It might even lead him to evil ways. So the father gives all the money to the elder son and says that it's your duty to take care of your younger brother. I don't trust him with so much money, so I'm giving it to you. You take care of that person. So Ramakrishna Paramahamsa used to say that when we go out to do seva, this is the attitude we should have. We should not feel that I am helping someone or I am going out and serving someone. But here I am, the wealth which is meant for the welfare of that poor person has been given to me and I am only a, a trustee or I am only an instrument through which that person is getting what is his or her due. Right? You would say that that is the attitude with which you have to go. So when you couple all of these together, the ability to do action without looking for any benefits thereof and this idea that I am what I am, not because of me alone, but all of these people have contributed and you know, this is God has given it to me and I am passing it on to that person. All of these attitudes put together will ensure that in this life that we lead, at least some of our actions are performed in a manner that do not bind, which can be defined or which can come under the category of akarma karma or effortless effort or actionless action or actions performed, yet actions that do not bind, right? And in the next line, Krishna says, such a jnani who has no attachment, who is self-satisfied and who doesn't depend on what's outside, karmani in action, abhi pravrittaha, though engaged, api, even though he is engaged in such action, na eva, indeed, kinchit karoti, doesn't do anything, right? Karmani, Abhi pravritta api, even though engaged in action, na eva does not indeed kinchit karoti, does anything. So for a jnani, whatever he does is a karma, but following what a jnani does, trying to recreate some of those actions in our own life, at least a few actions can be turned into actions that do not mind. And once we get a hang of it, that's what Swami says, that can you start doing this in all your duties? 
your duty as a father your duty as a mother your duty as a, a professional a duty that you do towards society can you bring the same attitude which you can do in a few acts and that is why seva is it's like a laboratory right whatever we are talking about karma yoga becomes so much more easy when we go out and try to do selfless seva when we are trying to do good to a person who is not going to return our favor or our uh, service in any way so can we practice karma yoga in a controlled environment like when we go out to do seva and that is why we should not stop it there we should try to transplant that attitude in every dharma that we perform the dharma as a householder the dharma that we do in the family and all activities right so that is the whole idea a gnani is able to do it all the time but at least can we take out time and do that and then eventually it becomes a habit and just like how at one point we were struggling to ride a bicycle we fell down many many times i'm sure everybody uh, who has learned to ride a bicycle will recall the times when you know they were desperately trying to master the art of balancing but now we ride the same bicycle effortlessly we we can keep thinking of all kinds of things and still we can ride not worrying about whether we were going to fall right so that's the whole idea if we are able to do it in few aspects of our life eventually it will become so effortless we are we are able to do it in all aspects of life so i think uh, dear listeners i'll conclude with that we'll continue the discussion next week it's going to be the same uh, topic which is going to continue and most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet i'll meet you again next week for the resumption of the gita series the trine pilgrimage if you have any thoughts on what i said if you do not agree with some of the explanation that i gave feel free to write to me as i said krishna has given uh, the license that even the most learned do not understand this clearly so i think i can uh, hide myself behind that pretext so i'm not claiming that i whatever i've said is perfect and is absolute so if you have other views feel free to write to me you can write to our uh, feedback mail or you can write to me personally i'll be happy to uh, have a discussion on that so with that dear listeners i'll meet you again till then take care jai sai ram